Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends. And since this is Black History Month, I thought I'd add a new mix or a curveball to the whole situation. We're inviting Dr. Marcus Amos in, and he's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about a lot of things, okay? But to start, I'm going to give out a little bit of your bio, Marcus, if you don't mind. You received your bachelor's degree from St. Augustine College, majoring in physical education and Southern University, majoring in therapeutic recreation. Mm -hmm. Uh, He went on to uh, obtain dual master's degree from South Carolina State University, majoring in rehabilitation and counseling. And that's just to name just a few. You have so many more on this list. I don't want to get too far in it because then we won't be able to talk about what we need to talk about. (laughs) And that's a little bit about this being Black History Month. Marcus, and I'm going to ask you a question that might seem kind of simple and dumb, but we have a lot of young listeners here, and I really Mm -hmm. want them to understand what this month is about, because so many people have laid their lives on the line when we're coming up. I'm 65. I'm I'm not afraid to tell my age. And I remember back in the 60s in the civil rights movement and Dr. King and, and, and Malcolm X, just to name a few, that were marching and putting their lives on the line so that we can benefit from some of the things that we have today. So with that, I'm gonna ask you, what does Black History Month mean to you? Yeah, and first thing I'm gonna say is, with my current position, I'm, I'm currently an assistant professor at Voorhees College, which is a historically black college. Uh, so that means a lot. Uh, I've graduated from three historically black colleges and, and, and two PWIs. And those and so, are? Uh, LSU and University of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and the, the HBCUs that I graduated from, you mentioned us, uh, uh, St. Augustine College, Southern University, and South oh, Carolina, Carolina State, State University. Yep. And so with all that in a nutshell, what it means, it means appreciation. And one thing that I, I like to talk about is understanding and appreciating. Because if you look at everything that we've accomplished in life, everything that we achieve, the more we achieve in life, the more humble we should be because of the path that so many before us have taken in order for us to be fortunate enough and be blessed to be in the position that we are. No matter what your geographical location is, uh, you have in some way, shape or form been invited to a conversation and it has entailed someone in your past and your history that has something to do with where you are today. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's what that means in a nutshell as we move forward this conversation to start as a ground piece. You know, uh, Mark's another dumb question. I would say again, uh, since these are dumb questions, Coop. These are good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Since the '60s, how do you think African Americans have advanced, and what uh, advanced? Okay, but we, when I when I look at when I hear that word "advance," every day we wake up, we can look at we can find something that we we we've been appreciative of, and that we're better at, we're better doing, we have more opportunities from. Uh, I think one thing is capital. Uh, I think it's socioeconomic status, but we still have a long way to go with that. I think we have gotten better at understanding how socioeconomics affect opportunities for our youth. Um, I think as a whole, even from a collegiate standpoint, we focus more on that and understanding that a lot of our students, um, black, white, green, no matter what, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds that are deprived from certain financial advantages, I think we've gotten better at creating opportunities for them because that is our future. And when you talk about from the 60s, how have we advanced? Have we advanced? I think we still have a long way to go because sometimes when you get, when you, when you settle on, we have advanced, you'll get complacent and you'll think that there's no more to do. Um, And we could, we have a long list of our advancements, but I don't try to stray, stray away from that. I don't try to dodge that word. I just like for us to understand that our financial opportunities are predicate on how we help one another. The more that we look back and we pull another person up, we get that person out the cubicle and we get them in a room that has some windows, uh, we can talk about advancement. But sometimes we're so fearful of helping the next person uh, advance and reach a goal in their lives, whether it be from a academic standpoint or financial standpoint, uh, that we forget about the struggle. Uh, so we, we have mm. made some strides in advancement, but as a whole, I think there's still a lot of work to do. 
you know, on your information uh, uh, thing, there was a, a Milton Craig. I hope I'm saying his name right. Milton Craig. He's deceased. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and deceased. But there's a comment that he made that you just kind of alluded to. He goes, education is useless if you're not using it to help someone else. Exactly. Uh, 20 years ago, I heard uh, Mr. Creed make that statement. Uh, my fraternity, Alpha fraternity, we were having a um, pregnancy awareness workshop with some youth in Waynesboro, North, uh, Waynesboro, Georgia, 20 years ago. And he was our guest speaker. And he made that comment and it stuck in my head. Education is useless if you're not using it to help someone else. Um, everything that you see in my bio is junk if I'm not waking up every day trying to help someone. Uh, whether it be from a monetary standpoint or just giving some advice. And I think the more we gain, we have to understand that have, there's so many people who are dealt a different deck of cards in life. Okay, so we need to reach back. Um, I predicate my life and my day on that. Uh, if I don't help at least one person throughout the day, then I feel like my day is useless. Uh, and I think if we can walk every day uh, with that thought, uh, if we could talk to our youth and instill that in them, I think sometimes we'll have a different vision on how we can help people more so than if it's just by a greenback, advice, anything, giving them great examples, putting good role models in front of them and having good conversations about black history. Um, and, and, and something I want to move, I don't want to get too ahead of the game with your questions, but it's something that I'm real big on is have black history conversations about your own internal family. Every day in your family should be black history month. Uh, and I think sometimes um, not taking away from the things that we need to know about a lot of people. We talk about MLK. We talk about Black History Month. We look at these icon names. But we have so many youth that don't even know some accomplishments of their own grandparents. Yeah. So I think the Black History conversation mm. needs to start internally and then move out. With people you know, in touch, yeah, that's, you know, that's a great uh, point. Marcus, one of the greatest things, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm constantly trying uh, to teach my son. Now, uh, my wife is Swedish, and so my son is mixed, and she tries to teach him the Swedish heritage, and I'm definitely encouraging the, uh, the Black side of him. And when he asked me, he said one day, this was about three, four months ago, he asked me, he goes, Dad, have you ever faced racism? Uh, because, I mean, we see it in little small portions as opposed to when I talk about my grandmother, the things they had to go to where it was white-only faucet, a, a black-only faucet, black, you can only use that portion of whatever was there. And I said, the only time that that's touched me, and I've been very fortunate, but it probably that underlying racism that I didn't see because it wasn't put in my face, but this is the first time it was put in my face. 1974, I was uh, from Pasadena, California, and I was... Uh, P.A. Pasadena High School was right on the border of Sierra Madre, which was just totally white. You really couldn't go in that area for me, but the high school was as far as we could go. And I remember uh, we had my cousins, my two cousins and I, we started dating these white girls and we were going up to see them. So we had, was out of our bounds, so to say, and we went up there and a police officer pulled us over. And I'll never forget this, and it hurt me to my heart, but he goes... Um, uh, what you boys doing up here? And we said, uh, we going to see some friends. He said, no, you're not. You niggas going to turn around and you're going to go back to your side of town. Okay. That was the first time racism was thrown in my face. So the next day at school, that bothered me to my heart because that was when I realized I was black. I mean, truly, because yeah. I thought, you know, everybody was equal. Yeah. I went to my coach and my coach was named George Turgeon an Armenian guy. And George Turgeon was, um, this dude was like my father, man. He was just a really mild manner, never cursed, very religious. And, I, and he goes, Coop, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know, I told him what happened. And he says, you know what, Michael, there are some ignorant people in the world, but you can't let that affect you. And that stuck to me so hard. And, you know, I, I was able to get over that. So when I tell that to my son, it, it, it makes me feel good every day because it's a learning lesson for me to know because, again, racism is still here. And like you said, we've come a long way, but yet we have a long way to go. So I believe in what you're saying. It has to be taught at home. It has to be taught at home. And it just can't be in the month. And even though it's a month, we still short two days because we get they give us Black History Month twenty eight days and that's thirty shortest month of the year. <laughs> well, well, Coop, you know what? It is great you hit on that because think about it. It is not an indictment on the parents all the time because we got to think about it. 
at a lot of these schools and a lot of HBCUs, we have a lot of first generation students. Their parents weren't privileged to the conversations about their own parents. You know, it is not an indictment on their parents. It's just some, some conversations that were never had. And so I'm, I'm, the experiences, they need to hear these experiences. Uh, my father, he, he would talk and constantly talk about his parents, my grandparents, uh, my uncles, which are his brothers, his sisters. And he would constantly talk about things they experienced in life. And I have some things that, uh, I have some strong men in my life. I have a strong, my, my grandfather, uh, Wilson Amos, Reverend Wilson Amos, my grandmother, Ophelia uh, Amos. There was some strong people because the things that I heard that they had to endure, I don't know if I'm built like that, you know? And so, and that's why I'm so humble and appreciative of everything that was handed to me from an information standpoint. And it helps me give it to my students. One thing that I've done in my classes is I'll tell my students, bring me back something to class about a history point in your family or something you didn't know about someone in your family. And we have those conversations. We don't just do it in February. And like you said, and then I talk about my experiences. Uh, and sometimes I think some things they need to hear in raw language, uh, like you just did, they need to hear that N word and how people were treated because it helps them appreciate the people that helped them to be able to sit in these seats. Our HBCUs will not exist if we were allowed to go to white schools, to go to PWIs. That's why they exist. So because we had a lot of pioneers to make sure that these educational opportunities exist, we got to grasp it and we got to appreciate it. Another thing that I like to do is I tell my students, put something in your back pocket the day you step foot on a college campus. And they ask me, Dr. Ames, what does that mean? Put somebody in your back pocket that is supporting you, that you want to put a smile on their face in four years or five years when you get to get a degree. Okay. That's part of a history process. Okay. Um, I remember my father would, would talk about when he was a little, when he's a little boy and they would be at the grocery store and they would literally have to put their grocery stores, put their groceries on the, uh, on the turnstile. But if a white family walked up, they had to grab all their groceries. They had to step back and they had to let that family go through first. Okay. Those are some of the things that keep me humble. And when I was in college and I'm calling home for money and I might have to wait, you, you know, we all know how it is. You know, we need that money on Friday, might not get there the next Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> then I would literally step back and think about how hard my parents are working, how hard they worked to get me to this point, the things they went through. Okay. I didn't see those things. I only heard about them. And I see them on TV and it makes me push back and it makes me be a little bit more patient with my demands in life. Okay. Um, and so these are conversations that they need to hear. Uh, and they need to hear about the, the James Baldwin's, you know, they need to hear about those pioneers, those famous poets, those famous literature artists, those famous activists. But when you have a conversation about James Baldwin, Finish the conversation about someone in your family. Mm. You're listening to Showtime with Poop, Insightful BS. Uh, we have a really special guest today. Dr. Amos is on board with us. Dr. Amos, we're at the point of the conversation in Showtime with Coop, and it's called Coop's Lightning Round. There might be less football being played, but Bet Online has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From score totals, player performance props, to where the next fire coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And with the new year comes a new update desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just football, bet online, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, bet online is your number one online wagering destination. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet online, where the game starts. And it's called Coop's Lightning Round. Okay. I'm going to give you five names. And you give me as much information as you want about that person, okay? Five names. Five names. You ready? 
Okay, in no particular order. Okay. Well, I'm just giving you a name and then you talk no, about No, just it. random, random. Just random. So you're going to give me a name. First name, Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Uh, powerful. Voice carries. Uh, that was one person that when I listened to her voice, I was intimidated by her tone. But then I had to start to listen to what she said. Um, as a young child, we weren't taught a lot of stuff about Maya Angelou. I, young, I, I learned a lot about Maya Angelou at, a, at an older age, um, at an older age, high school, because that's too late to hear about someone like that. Um, but I think um, if history shows that um, her influence on women at an early, middle, and late stage is powerful. And I just think about her powerful overtone and how she delivered her message. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players to ever uh, play the game. That's what I think about. Crispus Attic. Crispus Attic. Um, a light beyond his time. Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey. Um, um, powerful thoughts. Um, I would call him a, not even a modern day, uh, but a, a misunderstood abolitionist who had great ideas about an African-American migration. Uh, and some would say that if he would have been successful with that, uh, the U.S. would have went in ruins. <laughs> uh, Kobe Bryant. Missed, and once again, one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. Uh, very talented, uh, not just from a basketball standpoint, but just from a life standpoint. Um, uh, I've never seen a basketball player speak that many languages <laughs> during my time. And, and just a, a smart man, bright man. Um, we have to step back sometime and say uh, lost too soon because uh, God reaches down. He grabs angels um, when it's time to go. Damn, doctor, that's great. You know what? You're probably one of the best we've had in answering those questions. That's pretty good. Hey, we're going to flip the switch for a little bit. The state of sports today in America, your thoughts on it. Okay. From, oh, God, uh, how much time we got? We got as, <laughs> much, as much as you want. <laughs> um, I guess there's so many different levels when we talk about, I know that's kind of broad, the state of sports. Uh, can I answer it and touch bases on different levels? Sure. Um the state of sport from an amateur standpoint, I think we are making uh, strides. I think we're late to the party. Uh, we look at name, image, and likeness. I think um, that's the, the hot topic right now today. But I think we have to understand that let's not just settle for that. There's so many things that I think uh, student athletes uh, bring to the table uh, at all universities. And it's just not student athletes looking for monetary gain. Uh, we got to also make sure that we stay abreast with a lot of the personal development um, issues that they deal with. Uh, and let's not get tainted by the hurrah of name, image, and likeness and forget about the wellness of the athlete. Uh, I think the state of, the, the state of sports is, 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 is we're, 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 we're going to continue to focus on money because that, that's what makes everything go. Uh, but let's not forget about a lot of things that we, 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 we need to focus on from amateur sports. You talk about- uh, Talking about education, from an educational perspective? All of that, education, health and wellness, uh, mental health and wellness. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes we think that money will camouflage a lot of that stuff. Accomplishments right. will camouflage a lot of that stuff, and it doesn't. Let's, let's, let's still make sure that we, we understand the holistic part of, of, of player development when we're dealing with athletes. And we, now we know player development in, involves name, image, and likeness now. Um, we look at what's been going on over the last couple of years, um, and I'm embarrassed about a lot of things, Coop. Um, sometimes, you know, with there's a rush to everybody wants to jump on board when we talk about social justice when something happens. Um, I think the state of sports is very 
reactive and not proactive when it comes down to that. Um, it shouldn't yeah. take situations with George Floyd for everybody to say, how can we connect with HBCUs? And I literally sat back and I saw these initiatives happening and I walked up to someone and say, okay, I want you to connect George Floyd with someone wanting to donate money to HBCU and they couldn't answer that. What's the connection with that? What's the relationship with that? So it's almost like when something happens, when something tragic happens and it affects African-Americans, we just try to pull any type of way to connect with something dealing with African-Americans. When in my mind, you're late to the party. And a lot of times those incidences have nothing to do with it other than the person that's affected in that incident is African-American. So I think the state of sports needs to stop embarrassing themselves mm. and try to think that you are satisfying a situation by assisting from a monetary standpoint. You think that's uh, from a player's, from the, um, from the owner? Like, from that perspective, are you embarrassed by the player's reaction to it? And, I'm or embarrassed just- by organizations' reaction to it because the players – I've always had these conversations. I've been around a lot of players. These things have always been talked about. But the organizations are the ones that have the money. Right. Okay. And so that's what I mean. And maybe I should have been a little bit more specific. And that's a great point that you brought up. Is that let's rush to do the right thing every day. You know, and not wait until something happens. But that's the nature of people as a whole. I've done that before. Totally. You know, so I just can't point out... um, and so I try to practice not to be reactive all the time and to be proactive. On that front, you know, one of the main stories going on in sports right now is what's happened with Brian Flores, mm-hmm. which to your point is now the reaction is more reactive as opposed to what's clearly been an issue for years. And that is not just in the national football league, but across all sports and the lack of black representation when it comes to owners, general managers, coaches, uh, and positions of power in sports. When we're looking at a, a group of players, NBA, NFL, major league baseball, that are predominantly African-American. So I I'm, you know, I'm sure you're well aware of the Brian Flores situation. I guess my question to you is what is the fix? Is there, and obviously these are not easy answers, but what is your estimation of the fix? The fix. It's right here. If you, don't, if you don't have a good heart, that's, that's where the fix starts. Okay. And we can have a, we can continue the conversation with more, we've got more salt on that. But that is the fix. If you don't want to look in the mirror and just want to wake up and do the right thing, uh, not, not, not insult people by, and I'll say this, in reference to the blind force situation, I don't, blind force said this is, these are the things that happened. I don't know what happened, okay? I don't want to desecrate anybody because we, we don't know. We don't know if it happened. We don't know if it didn't happen. So I just want to make that clear. Um, but when we talk about those things that are happening, all these things you described that could be happening, is it starts with the person. Do you want to wake up and just be a good person and just treat people well and respect uh, the, the skill set of the individual and give people opportunities? It starts with that person, uh, the Rooney Rule. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I never liked the Rooney Rule because I felt like you're just bringing people in to check a box. And, and not all organizations were doing that. I, I don't like to make blanket statements, okay? But when I heard, okay, you have to interview a certain amount of minorities, hell, I wish we could, were doing that back in the 50s. Right. You know, I, you know, so, you know, I, we got to get to a point that we got to get tired of people forcing individuals to give us opportunities. We just got to really play, pray that those people wake up with a good heart. And, and, and that's where everything starts from a spiritual standpoint. Who are you and what type of person do you want to be? Do you want to wake up and you want to continue to be that person that perpetuates that cycle to just go through emotion and knowing you have no intentions of helping that person reach their goal? 
You just want to check a box. Um, I don't think that's anything. This is anything new going on. Right. Um, it starts with also having people in place because you think about this, and I want y'all to pay attention to this. We talk about government, we talk about the president, but we got to think about local government first. In order to, for individuals to have impact and to help you, you got to make sure you have people from a local level in place to start the change in your community. And you got to move forward from the state level and then you make it to DC. Okay. It's the same as professional sports. Okay. You got to have people in place here to make sure things start to work here because these people were in, in place at this level, then we got to make sure that those people who have the right intentions and the best intentions, whether they look like me or look like someone else, that those individuals are given opportunities because we don't have any ownership. Okay. At the end of the day, we don't have any ownership. Okay. We have a small percentage of people that are in general management positions, minorities. Okay. That can get in the room and go to that table. Now, everyone that can come in the room doesn't have a say so at the table. That's another problem that we have. We check boxes just to make sure that we have those people coming in the room. There's a, there's a phrase now that's called diversity, equity, and inclusion. For 20 years, it was just a diversity word. Everybody had a job before. You had diversity training, diversity training, diversity training. Think about it. Equity and inclusion was never attached to that. You know why it's attached now? Because you can diversify a crap game, a dice game, a marble game. All I got to do is go get someone that's, quote, we use these terms, white, African-American, Latino, uh, European descent. It's diverse. But then again, I might walk over to the African-American guy and give him a weighted marble because I know that marble is going to win and I give everybody else an unweighted marble. There's no equity involved with that. So, so, doctor, you're saying that trickle-down effect has to be reversed for us because we've got... It's got to be reversed. Yeah. It's got to be reversed. And that's why equity and inclusion, because now you got to make people feel equal. And having an inclusive environment, you got to make sure that people are comfortable with their voice. Now, inclusion. If I'm not comfortable coming in a room and expressing my feelings because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, it's not an inclusive environment. Right. I am just there because the box was checked and we want to get someone up in there for a different representation to satisfy the first word, diversity. But it's not equal. Okay. So everybody can diversify an environment and make it look good on paper, but where's the equity? Is it inclusive? Okay. And when you don't have an equal and inclusive environment, these things that have been proposed that have been done to um, Coach Flores, and I think uh, Coach Hugh Jackson has made some comments. Yep. If those things have happened, then those things are going to, to continue to happen. Um, you have to want and need diversity of thought and opinion. Yes, it has to be a lifestyle. Yeah. <clears throat> it has to be a lifestyle. Um, and I'm real big on that. I mean, don't talk to me about diversity. Talk to me about um uh, are you treating people equal and is it an inclusive environment because I can walk in a room it could be a diverse diversity is the easiest thing to accomplish with an right. organization right people think diversity means um that everybody feels good at that organization and it, it, it totally does totally you know what, Dr. Amos I'm an old dog man they say old dogs you can't teach them new things but I've learned so much listening to you in the last five Minutes, man. That's I hope I have been babbling. <laughs> no, no you've been, it's been great. Been absolutely informative, uh, Doctor. You were a, a contributor in a documentary. It was called Locker Room Addiction. What's, what yes. was that? Uh, and I have to give a shout out to Kurt Mangle. Kurt Mangle was the uh, executive producer for that. Kurt worked for Directv. Uh, great guy. Um, and I thank him for calling and approaching me about that. I. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee at the time, and I was uh, working towards completion of my doctorate degree. Um, my focus area was opioid dependency and dealing with a lot of accidental overdose deaths in sports with <laughs> athletes, um, which, which transitioned to my dissertation, my research area. Um, and Kirk Mangle had saw a lot of things I've done, a lot of places I've went, 
and done some prevention workshops in that area. And he reached out to me and he talked about this documentary that he wanted to do uh, based around, you know, uh, opioid addiction, pain pill addiction with athletes. Uh, and he asked me to be a, um, a contributor to that. Um, and the other thing that I, that I appreciated he did was he actually kind of gave me leeway to kind of handpick uh, some people who, he, who I thought that would be uh, great to, to deliver a message uh, for that. Um, and so that's how that came about. Uh, it was a great documentary. Uh, it aired on DirecTV. Um, we got a lot of traction from it. Um, a lot of uh, media outlets uh, reached out to me um, from uh, HBO Real Sports, ESPN Outside the Lines, um, LA Times, uh, just to get some conversation about um, what was the height of opiate dependency in sports at that time. Uh, and so that's one thing that I, I'm, I'm continuing to get out is a message on we need to be proactive uh, about educating our athletes on the high risk and dangers of accidental drug overdoses you know, when they are prescribed uh, pain medications and combine them with other substances. Is that all across all sports? I mean, I, you think of opioid addiction, I, me personally, I think of football, but are, do you see it sort of spread across all sports? I think it is all sports. Anybody, any athlete that suffers an injury and, if, and due to that injury, if you have to be prescribed some type of uh, opioid medication, I think uh, anybody could be, be prone to um, potential addiction, depending on the extent of your injury, how long right. you're on that medication. So nobody's immune to that. I'm not immune to that. We're not immune to that. Uh, that's when the education comes in. Uh, I've seen it across all sports. Um, I, I can't think of a sport that I haven't heard that someone has um, dealt with that problem at some time and not from a, an intentional uh, abuse standpoint. Right. Uh, it could be you starting off uh, misusing your medication. Um, and not not saying that those institutions who you're affiliated with aren't educating you on it, but those things happen when we deal with injuries. And, and when you get at those high D1 schools and into the pros, you know, their job is to get you back out on the court. Because I remember sometimes I twist my ankle and they'd be like, Poop, take the shot. You want to get out there? And me as a competitive athlete, I sure. do want to get back out there right. and take that shot. So it does start yeah. very innocent. And that next thing you know, it's a full-blown addiction. It is. It is. And sometimes it's just you want to I mean, you want to get back on the court. You want to get back on the playing field. Um, and sometimes I've seen some individuals say I've taken that just that one extra pill to numb the pain and the the euphoric feeling I got from that. I wanted that euphoric feeling all the time, even mm-hmm. after my injury healed. Um, so the we'll, I don't think we'll ever stop it. Uh, but I think we can put a put a heck of a dent in it the more. Yeah. We talk about it and the more education we provide to our athletes. Um, and speaking on getting out there, that last shot, there are a couple of shots. I was like looking at the TV saying, don't shoot that ball. And it went in. So. <laughs> How about me? Me don't shoot yeah. the ball. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there they go. <laughs> Dr. Amos, your passion for helping student athletes and some of the service that you offer. I, I looked at it. You got athletes and career development you got bereavement and, and trauma. You have sexual assault education. Uh, you you probably reached a lot of young people. What is what is one success story that you could share with us that you're very proud of? Um. Wow, I have a few. Um. um there was a young lady, and I never forget this quote. Um. I was speaking at Tennessee State University. Uh, a matter of fact, I think one or two clips of that speaking engagement is in Locker Room Addiction, I think, one or two of those clips. And, and uh, after the event, a young lady walked up to me and she pulled me to the side. She had tears in her eyes. And she said that, this is just one, one incident, that her boyfriend was a former student athlete and he's dealing with her worst where he's dealing with the same problem that you're talking about. And he's thinking about, he's told me at times he felt like harming himself. And so I gave him my number. Uh, what I can't do at that particular time, I, you know, that's off my grounds to provide any type of Addiction. service or counseling to her. Yeah. 
but I can notify individuals. I can give her some information on, hey, this is who you need to talk to and give him the information. But I told her some things that I won't get into uh, to help her get through that process and to help him get through the process. And uh, we had a conversation. Um, a couple months later, that individual, he went to treatment. Um, he was successful in treatment, went to graduate school, um, was successful in that. And I thought about that because what I tell people when I go somewhere to speak about that topic, sometimes it only takes one. If no one in the room is listening, if that one person is listening, one person, yeah, it takes that one person. And it looked like everybody in the room was listening, but I know that one person was. <laughs> and we helped save one life. Um, great story. Dr. Um, Amos, this is one at a time. It's one at a time. That's how you have to look at it. One at a time. One at a time. Um, and, and, and there's so many other success stories from, you know, um, an educational standpoint um, to athletes just understanding that, you know, I make a lot of money now, but I got to start now thinking about my future. Uh, there's so many successful with that. And as you can see, I've kind of tried to touch bases on so many personal development areas and dealing with athletes. Because you've known for a while, Coop, as long as we've been knowing each other, my focus is holistic care. Yeah. Uh, that's so much involved with holistic, holistic care with an athlete. Um, it's just not making sure that they are abreast academically. We have to look into a lot of other things, a lot of other barriers in their lives that affect them off the playing field. Uh, but that one story at, at Tennessee State, I think that, that, that really stuck with me. And I, I use that story a lot. You're listening to Showtime with Coop. Dr. Amos is in the house. Doctor, a couple more yeah. questions for you because we know that you got to uh, get on your way. Uh, oh, no. who is I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. My time is your time. Okay, we can ready to test your basketball skills now. <laughs> okay. I want, I, who do you feel is the GOAT? And let's go, uh, uh, let's so go cool. uh, within the last five years. Give me your GOAT player of the... No, forget it. We'll open it up all the way. Who, who is I, your I, GOAT? Who's your goat all time? All right. Coop, I, I do want to give me two people. I, I'll give you so cool. I do want to continue working in this industry. So I want to be <laughs> 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 you know how sensitive some people can be, right? Um Coop, I, I'll tell you. Um I'm in, in any I'm gonna give you my goats. But not from top to bottom. I'm just going to give you my goats. Can I do yeah, that? That's it. <laughs> so I have to give you number one, number two, number three. No, I'll just in any order. order. Okay. Okay. Th these are my goats, not in any order. Okay. Um, we'll go with Michael Jordan. Okay. Akeem Olajuwon. Ooh, he's new. Kobe Bryant. Yep. LeBron James. Uh huh. You owe for four right ball. now, so be careful. Huh? <laughs> you owe for four right now. Be careful. Uh, Think Lakers. Showtime. <laughs> Magic and Michael okay. and Michael Cooper. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> there I am, a six man. Like uh, Lou L. Cinders, who you're looking for. <laughs> six man. I, I said Kareem. I said Kareem. I do the ball. Uh, so Davis. I think. I think. I, and what I say. I look at dominance. It is, it is so difficult, but we, we narrow it down to how great you are and how successful you've been. I think that's how we look at it. Okay. And our common, uh, the discussion right now, the argument right now, the first two names that come out, we think about LeBron James, Magic Johnson. We think about not just basketball. We think about Tom Brady, those guys. Yeah. We talk about the GOAT. Yeah. But it, it's so difficult at times until I have to get selfish with that conversation because I threw in um, Akeem Olajuwon because I hear so many centers say they didn't learn how to play basketball until they played against him. Yeah, you're right. But if, and I look at, if, if you're going to open it up like that with Tom Brady, you got to add Muhammad Ali now because I, I, the things that Muhammad once Ali... Again, once again, that there we go. Yeah, I, I have some. My list could be fifteen or twenty. Okay. Um, Ali was great in the game, and then we look when he left and came back, and he was still great. So, the he would probably have more tease on his word goat 
if he wouldn't have left the game for a while. We yeah. can also say that about Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, but we have these conversations. It's so it's so dissected uh, because you can just go at it from so many different standpoints. Uh, but it narrows down to we go with numbers. Who's won the most Super Bowls? Who's won the most NBA championships? Who's been to the finals uh, uh, this amount of times? Who's been to this many Super Bowls and won this many Super Bowls? Uh, so many different things you can add to that. Um, that is my list. I've left a few people off, not on purpose. And my man, Dominique Wilkins, uh, he's just one of my favorites. Um, and, and he's not in the GOAT conversation. And I mentioned Dominique Wilkins because if you want to if you want to talk about a down period in, 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 in mostly in my life is when he was left off that first list. Yeah. Well, you know, Michael Cooper did go to the finals nine times. And you don't you don't want to know my conversation I had because I don't think we could do any cursing on this about the uh, the Hall of Fame issue uh, pertaining to you. So um, I don't think that there will be a sailor uh, that can endure the language that I want to <laughs> convey. And, and this is real talk, not because we're friends, Cooper, uh, because I, I think sometimes. And I don't want to desecrate the people that were elected, but sometimes, you know, I just sit back and wonder, you just said it, where are we at in the state of sports? Yeah. Um, I look at your resume and I say, what more? Well, what I, more I, I, I think one day I'll get in. I, I, and, I really and, do. And I don't want you to comment on this. I'm venting. Okay. <laughs> this, this, Go this ahead, doctor. Go ahead and vent then. <laughs> you know, because, and I've had this conversation with some of our mutual friends. Um, and it's like, what else? And then I look at some of the people who have gotten in. And, and I say, really? And it's not desecrating them. They will be a fool not to accept the phone call. But I'm a fan. So I can sit back and compare and give my opinion. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's well overdue, my brother. I'll say that. Uh, I wish I could make a phone call, but I'm just little old Marcus Amos that works at Voorhees College. Um, but uh, we got some work to do. I your think some counts. people have some soul searching to do that's making some decisions, and I'll leave it at that. Well, and, your vote counts. Hey. The importance of, of, you know, and we know in successful organizations, the importance of having team players and not, you don't have to love your role, but knowing your role and buying in and being a leader exactly. in that regard. Um I mean, we know Cooper is an elite, was an elite defensive player. He was a instru instrumental part of the Showtime Lakers, but the ability to buy in and def, uh, you know, defer your own ego for the betterment of the team, no, no organization can be successful in any, in any business or society without people like that. Exactly. That conversation came up about some of the teams that are put together in right now about they don't have enough of those players. The Lakers. Uh, okay. Let, 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 let me ask you this. Can the Lakers win a championship? Uh, this year? I'm not retired yet. Uh, <laughs> Can the Lakers win a championship this year? Dr. Uh, Amos. Uh -huh. Can the I Lakers win a championship this year? Any more Michael Coopers? <laughs> you mean Coopers Lakers? No, this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> this the non-buy-in guys. <laughs> um that, that that would be very difficult. Um, I think they should just worry about step by step. Can the Lakers get to the playoffs? You so, almost started that, laughing when you said that. <laughs> so he's right. You know, it because I don't even think they need to, to think about winning the championship. And I think with and, and you know what? That's hard to say. Anytime you have LeBron James on your team, to even say that that what they should not be thinking about when he's a part of that. Exactly. That's hard to say. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody he's ever thought about what he should not be thinking about. When we're talking about the top, but when we're being realistic about what's going on, um, it, it's going to be difficult. I think they need to worry about, can we make the playoffs and start right there? That's um, good one. I, uh, I don't want to do a Jim Mora, 
Uh, Playoffs? Uh, Playoffs? <laughs> Championship? <laughs> Dr. Evans, listen, they making the playoffs, they better be thinking about getting to that sixth slot. Because if they get to that eighth or seventh slot, the way they've been playing, that's going to be a quick exit and a whole bunch of heads going to roll. But that's for another show and another yep. day. Last question for you, Dr. Amos. And then we got to get out of here. As long as you want, I'm here. Okay. Who wins the Super Bowl? I predicted that the Rams were going to beat, uh, what's called them last week? They did. It's the uh, Cincinnati and the Rams. I'm picking the Rams, not because I'm from L.A., but because L.A. is the city of champions. Okay. I'm saying this strictly from an association standpoint. <laughs> okay. Association standpoint. LSU, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. <laughs> Look, higher. Strictly from an association standpoint. <laughs> this is one of my alma maters. Okay, so now let's talk real talk. Um, I call him a gunslinger. Um, Matthew Stafford. Um, Matthew Stafford, I'll name some guys. Uh, Russell Wilson. Um, they get the ball down the field probably faster than any two quarterbacks in the league. And I'm not talking. I'm not talking about their win percentage or whatever. I've right. watched them over the years, and they get the ball down the field fast. It's not going to be healthy if Matthew Stafford has any time on the clock, and they're in they're in they're in scoring reach of needing just a score to win. Um, he scares me. Uh, he really does. He scares me, and he's hungry. Yeah. Okay. Um. Odell Beckham Jr. is hungry. Okay. Coop. Cooper Cup. Um, Coop. Coop. <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for Joe Burrow. So because I'm rooting for Joe Burrow, I'm rooting for Cincinnati Bengals. And Jamar Chase. That's my heart. Now, I haven't answered your question, Coop. You said who is going to win. I, I think I think it's a 50-50 deal. I wouldn't bet against either one right now. Um, Cincinnati always starts off slow but they finish well. That's been their MO. Joe Burrow has went from joining a team with two victories, I think, prior to him getting there. Four victories his first year. Got hurt his rookie year. He was on pace to become the rookie of the year, uh, uh, NFL rookie of the year, his first year until he got hurt. Uh, putting up great numbers. He hasn't missed a beat since the national championship game since that season at, at LSU. Um, he's going to be hard to beat because you can't count him out. I'm going with the guy. I'm going with the young guy. But uh, I, I can't count out the gunslinger and Matthew Stafford. It's going to be very hard. I know you guys are L.A. people. I know where your heart is. Um, I, man, this is a tough one. Well, Glad there you go. There you have it. Dr. Amos is sitting on the fence. And you know, you sit on the fence sometimes, them things that stick you and make you sing in a higher octave, okay? So be careful about that. But I'm leaning. I'm leaning. I'm, I'm leaning. <laughs> Dr. Amos, thank you so much for being on with us today, man. Really, really very informative session. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, my friend, I'm glad to call you that. Uh, again, this was very, very informative for me, man. I learned a lot today. Thank oh, you. Cool. No problem, man. I'll tell you this. Um, just think about, oh, God, I don't know how many years ago when we first met, when we were uh, panelists on a, on a Title IX panel um, at, at the University of New Mexico. Yeah. Um, and wow. we've, we've, we've been friends since then. And I tell everybody, everybody you meet is not a friend. That takes time. Um, and, and, and I think that it's an honor that, that I can call you my friend, you know, over all these years. And I know that uh, anything you need, you can reach out to me. And it's always been vice versa. Uh, so um, keep up the good work. And I know you're going to do great things. Oh, it was great to meet you also. Um, meet you. And, and thank you. Thank you for your assistance with everything. And uh, you guys are doing some good stuff. Um, and we're going to circle back. I know we're going to continue to do some things. Um, I just want to leave with this is, you know, 
everybody, a lot of people are going to have access to this, but if I can leave with one message is that let's make our homes black history conversation. Thanks, you any, Doctor, you have any books or anything you want to let our, our listeners know about? Anything well, you got coming up? Yeah, here's some things we got coming up. Um, we, well, I'm in the process of connecting with someone who you played with, uh, Gerald Wilkins. Played for, I mean, played against. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gerald Wilkins. And we are trying to do some great things and partner up and educate um, a lot of athletes uh, in the area of mental health and wellness. Um, we, 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 um, I mean, we, we have a, an array of areas that we want to talk to athletes about when it talks about personal player development. And um, I think that that's going to be great uh, as we put this thing together. Um, and I'll make sure that I keep you abreast okay. of the conversations we're having uh, at different venues and with different individuals. And um, that's the one main thing that I'm working on right now. Um, um, so many other things going on. We have um, a great um, outline for this month at our institution, Voorhees College. Um, we're going to be doing some things, and I think they're going to. Some of the things are going to be virtual. What we're doing for our Black History Month, and I think the the public will have access to that. And you could go on Voorhees College's website. Um, and a lot of things will be posted that we're going to be providing for our students in reference to education for this month and moving forward. Uh, so um, right now, like I said, outside the institution, we're going to be promoting a lot of education. Uh, I'm starting the HBCU initiative because we don't have a lot of traction in getting the education and prevention piece across. We talk about opioid dependency in sports at, a, at our HBCUs because we have, if you go across the country, um, talking about I have a issue with mental health and wellness or any type of substance abuse issue is unheard of in the African-American community. Um, and, I'll be, and I'll be honest to admit, the majority of the schools over the last 15 years that I visited to talk about opioid dependency and education, it hasn't been our HBCUs. So I'm starting an initiative to mm. reach out to as many as possible uh, to try to get in there and not all from a monetary gain, just to get the information across because we do have that problem. We need that education when it comes down uh, to um, African-American athletes uh, because a lot of us think that it, it doesn't exist you know, at those institutions because it's not their drug of choice, but um, they're not immune to it. And so that's one big initiative that I've also started working on. And uh, I'll, hopefully I'll be in some areas that we can connect and uh, we can probably uh, put some information together on. There you have it, Dr. Marcus Amos. Thank you so much, sir, for being on Showtime with Coop. And we will circle back to you, okay? And get off that fence, oh, man, and get on one side or the other. I'll, I'll try. I'll send you a text when I cave in. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye, man. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care.